Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. I don't count it a burden, whatever, to have to care for her. I, I need to do everything from the moment she gets up to the moment she goes to bed. I do absolutely everything. Um, I clean her teeth, I shower, dress, everything. And um, But it's it's a privilege. I count it a great privilege to, to care for this one that I've loved all of these years and continue to love. This is the year when we'll celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. Our stories have been a, a lovely story. I first saw her when she was eight years old and her brother became my best friend. We grew up together and as we grew up, yeah, she was there. And I knew that she used to stare at me when I was playing footy with, my, with her brother and uh, another friend and when we used to ride bikes and she kept staring at me, but I wasn't interested. I was 17, she was 16. I saw her dolled up, dressed up, and she had an A-line dress on, and boom, it was gone. I was, uh, she was the one for me then, absolutely. <laughs> when we first started uh, dating, I used to ride my bike from where I lived to where she was, and that was about five kilometers on a Saturday afternoon, because it was the only chance we had to get together. And uh, it was hair wash day for her, and she used a special cream in her hair for a shampoo. And I can still smell it, because that smell was so particular, so nice. It was just absolutely special. We had a bike. I used to ride everywhere on my bike, and then Glad had a bike as well. And we put a, a baby chair on the front of her bike, and so we carried our babies around on the bike with her as well. So, yeah, bike's been part of our lives, and I guess that has something to do with us now. Around about 2004-05, I began to notice um, that there were things going wrong. She was finally diagnosed with uh, the horrible disease of Alzheimer's. Having lived overseas, I knew that with a bike you can do lots of things. So I had a bike made, a bike chair made. We take it to the beach and ride along beside the beach. And as we do that, we see lots of people. A lot of people come talk to us because it's a, a unique thing. Nobody else has got a bike chair quite like that one. I am determined to care for her every need, every need. You see, God has loved us so unconditionally. And I understand that God has put his love in my heart. And because I realize how much God has loved me, that's how I too can love my lovely wife. She has done so much for me over all of these years. Now she can't, but I can, and I can return her love. Uh, and it's a love that, uh, well, to me, means I can do everything for her. She's my princess, I'm her William, and I wouldn't <laughs> have it any other way. Would you have it any other way? No, no, no. no not at all. We love each other. Um, kids, you guys are dismissed. Um, I've got Matt is in the back, excited to hang out with you for the next little bit. Adults, you're stuck with me. Um, wipe those tears. Wipe those tears. Wipe those tears. 
Um, I'm really excited to be with you today. Um, like Andy said, Joel, our, our lead pastor, is out today, and uh, I'm the youth pastor, so you're stuck with me. If you're a visitor here, this is not normal. I'm not normally up here. Um, he'll be back next week, me praying for him, me encouraging him this week, as he has the awesome opportunity to work with his dad doing some disaster relief stuff. Um, but uh, the video that we just saw, um, most of you guys know, before I worked at the hospital where I'm at now, I, uh, I was a public school teacher. I taught math, mostly freshman algebra one, as gross as that sounds. That was what I had committed my life to for whatever reason for about five years. And um, around Valentine's Day each year, I um, decided that I wanted to teach a lesson to my kids about what love is. It's a very bold and courageous thing to do with a bunch of 14-year-olds who smell really bad. I was gonna teach them about the vastness of love. And the way that I would usually do that lesson is I would have post-it notes on all of their desks. When they'd walk in, there would be instructions on the board that would say something to the effect of, um, on your post-it note, write down the, or finish this statement. Love is blank. So these kids would come in, these 14-year-olds would come in, they'd get out their pens and their pencils and, and with their lead and with their, well, hopefully not lead, their graphite and their ink, these 14-year-olds would begin to express with deep intricacies the vastness of love in their 14-year-old minds. And it was weird. <laughs> it was so weird. I got some of the funniest answers. Um, one of my biggest regrets in life is that I didn't hold on to those post-it notes. I don't know why I didn't think this would make a great sermon illustration one day. Um, but man, they had some wacky things to say as you can imagine from a 13, 14 year old freshman in high school when they're trying to define love. But the thing that stood out to me more than the weirdness of their answers was the uniqueness of their answers. They all had their own ideas of what love was. I could have 30 kids in a class and come up with 30 completely different definitions of love. You know, this guy's idea of what love is different than this guy's, which I promise you is vastly different than the girl over there on the other side of the room. Very different ideas of what love was, but then I would show them that video that we just watched. And at the end of it, I would ask them, I would say, okay, did he truly love his wife? And every year, every class, every single kid would point to it and say, absolutely, yes, that is love. They knew it when they saw it, right? And I think that we live in a world of so many people who are desperately, frantically trying to figure out what love is. They're trying to define it. There's so many different definitions of what love is. There's so many different places that people are running to to find it, to achieve it. They're going to this thing and that thing and this person and that person, trying to find love, desperately trying to figure it out. But it's only when they actually see it in front of them, act it out, that they'll actually know what it is. And when they see it, when the world sees real love, they know it. They know exactly what they're looking at, right? Um, I don't think this is by accident. I think God has very distinctly put us on this planet. I think one of the biggest charges we have as followers of his is to be that reflection of love to the world, to be that picture of love that the world can point to and say, oh, that's what it is. That's what love really is. Um, Jesus, I think it's in John 13, don't turn there because I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's in John 13. When he's in, um, he's speaking to his disciples. This is right before he's arrested um, and they're in the upper room and 
And he's kind of leaving his final charges to them. And he tells them, he says, this is how people are going to know that you're my disciples, by the way that you love each other. He says, this is the thing that really matters. This is the whole shebang. This is what I want you to be to the world. This is what I want them to see. If they see anything in you, I don't want them to just see that you're a good person. I don't want them to just see that you are, you pray a lot. I don't just want them to see that you go to church a lot. I want them to see that you love. I want them to see your love because you are a reflection of me. That's what we are, right? The word Christian, it means little Christ. It means that we are just like little images of God to the world. And God defines himself as love. He says himself, I am love. And if we're trying to show people who God is, we've got to be love to the world. It's crucial. It's the most powerful existential force on our planet is love. And yet it's something that very few people are able to find. And it's something that people are desperately looking for. Um, so that's what I want to be able to talk to you guys about today. Um, I'm really excited for this opportunity. I'm, I'm thankful anytime that you guys allow me to stand up here and, and speak. And I'm especially thankful to have a chance to talk about this because this is, I think it's just so important. I think that this um, idea of loving people, of being the picture of love to the world, I think it's just so vital um, to the world that we live in today. I think it's, it's so relevant to our lives to, and to where we are today. So um, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to dive right in. I've got a lot to say, so let's roll with that if that's cool. Um, let's celebrate, by the way, the fact that you don't have to listen to me talk about my own ideas of love, but we get to listen to Jesus's ideas instead. So let's open our Bibles and celebrate the fact that he tells us what love is. Thank you. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 today. Luke chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 25. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and crack that guy open. Uh, if you've got a phone, you can find that Bible app in there somewhere. Download it real fast. Um, if you don't have any of that, that's fine. I think we're going to have the, the words on the screen behind me. You can read along. Make sure that I'm not reading the wrong words, which I might. Um, I was a math teacher, not a reading guy. Reading out loud was never my thing. I was the guy, he was like, anybody want to read this? I'm like, oh, no. Um, we had to do, oh, this is, nope. <laughs> I'm in now. <laughs> I'm committed now, Stephen. <laughs> um, we, did, we did a reading of Romeo and Juliet when I was in ninth grade. We had to like read different parts. You know what part I was? I volunteered for? Torchbearer number three. <laughs> I frantically went through. I was like, who has the least amount of lines? Torchbearer number three does. Yeah, I'll be that guy. One line the whole time. It was awesome. I don't like reading, but I'm going to try it. So um, in Luke 10, um, verse 25, we pick up our story. We're talking about the, the story of the Good Samaritan, something that you've heard of a lot. Um, and when we, when we enter the story, we see Jesus doing something that he is commonly seen doing. He's surrounded by a lot of people. And verse 25 is one of the scariest verses in the Bible. I'm reading from the ESV. I think that might be different. But it says, and behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. <laughs> Whoa, that's not good. A lawyer stands up and puts Jesus to the test. Um, bold move on the lawyer's part. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He kind of turns it back on him and says, what do you think? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this. Kind of a weird moment for the lawyer where he's like, Jesus is like, yes, you're correct. And the lawyer's like, thank you. What, 
But wait, I asked you the question. He's like, what? Just, he got Jesus burned like real fast. It happens to people who challenge Jesus. But he's not to be denied. He's going to continue. He says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, okay, but who is my neighbor? He's coming back at Jesus. He's like, okay, you got me on that one, but who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, oh, oh, friend, put a helmet on because I'm about to blow your mind. And then he starts to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. It says, Jesus replied, a man who was going down from Jerusalem to, Jer to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest, the religious leader of the day, the pastor, was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, Levite, they, they would typically be in charge of a lot of the music and things like that. So here comes Kyle. Hey, Kyle, shout out. You're in there. Kyle comes down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Oh, Kyle. Oh, shucks. Kyle wouldn't do that. He would be there for you. He'd sing to you. It'd be great. Um, but this guy didn't. He passed on the other side. But then... But then a Samaritan, if you were a Jew in this time, this was bad news. You don't like these guys. Um, a Samaritan, the bad guy, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And the lawyer replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and you do likewise. Um, I have two and a half points today. It's the first time I've ever had points in a message my entire life. Are you proud of me? I'm on the up and up. I don't quite have three points, but I have two and a half. When I get to a full three, watch out, devil. It's on. <laughs> But I have two and a half points, two and a half things that when I look at this story, I think that we see that should be true of people who are loving the way Jesus has called us to love, okay? And the first point is that I think people who are loving the way that Jesus has called us to love become obsessed with the needs of others. We become obsessed with the needs of others. Um, if we go back up to verse 31, it says, now by chance, a priest, the religious leader, was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. My scholars out there will be very quick to tell me exactly why he did that. Um, I think maybe we give him a bad rap sometimes, or at least we think about it differently than we should. Here's what I think of. I see this priest who's coming down the road, and he sees this man lying there. And at the, at the time, one of his man-made rules that he was required to follow was he was not allowed to touch a dead body. Right? A priest was going to, he was doing all the rituals and all the sacrifices. And he had, in order to do them, he had to be not only spiritually clean, but also physically clean. And if he were to touch a dead body, he would be considered unclean. He could get diseases. It could get bad. So when this priest saw him, he saw, oh, blood, bruises, guts. I'm not supposed to touch that. That's my rule is I'm not supposed to touch. So he goes to the other side, and I almost imagine that, like, as he's doing it, he's almost like, hey, God, did you see how like, I, I almost touched the dead body, but I didn't? Aren't you proud of me for following the rules? He's like, heaven five. And God is like, oh, like, um, no, actually, I'm not super proud of that, because the verse before that, we see that the guy was not dead. He was only half dead. 
or as my Princess Bride fans would say, he's only mostly dead, right? So I, and I find that interesting that when this man came by and he sees the man who's there half dead, he's thinking, oh, dead man. He's just seeing what's on the outside. He's seeing the blood. He's seeing the bruises. And I don't think he's trying to be a jerk. I think he's just being religious, right? I, I think he's just like, oh, no, the rules say I'm not supposed to touch dead people, so I'm going to go and be religious and avoid the dead person over here. I'm going to pretend like it's not there so that I can be holy, right? I think he's just being kind of religious. The Samaritan, however, has a completely different take on what's going on. When the Samaritan comes down later and he sees that man there, he sees the exact same thing. They see the exact same man. But when the Samaritan sees him, he's moved with compassion, with pity. And when he sees him, he begins to take action. He begins to help him. You see, they saw the exact same thing, but they perceived it completely differently. And the way that you perceive the needs of others will drastically change the way that you treat them. It will drastically change the way that you act towards them and the way that you love them. Your actions are always preceded by your perceptions. Um, I work at a psychiatric hospital. I work on the kids' unit. And um, one of the things that we talk about a lot in my treatment team is we talk about the difference between seeing our patients as bad versus seeing them as sick. Okay, so old school psychiatric world sees psychiatric patients as bad people. And the problem is when you start seeing someone as a bad person, you start treating them like a bad person. You start treating them like a criminal. And what do you do to criminals? You punish them. So you start acting towards them punitively. So you're just kind of showing them that they're wrong. You're bringing attention to their wrongness. Isn't that kind of what punishments are? It's just trying to, to show you and make sure that you know that you're bad and that you're wrong. So you start treating them punitively like criminals. And all of a sudden, our hospitals aren't really hospitals. They're more like jails, right? Um, and that's easy to do sometimes. Some of the kids that we work with, some of the kids that come in to our unit, man, they're rough kids. They've been through a lot of stuff. It's very easy sometimes to just see them based on their exterior appearance, to see them based on their behaviors, and immediately start to treat them and see them as a bad kid. But what we try to do instead is we try to see our kids and perceive them as sick. Because when you see someone as sick, you see that they have the capability of getting better. You start to well up a little bit of compassion, and you start to think to yourself, not punitively, but therapeutically, how can I help you find a place of betterment? How can I help you right now? Right? So a big difference between the way that we see our kids, same kid, same behaviors, same action, but the way that we perceive them, the way that we think about them drastically changes the way that we treat them and the way that we love them. My question is, which of those two things is most like Jesus? When Jesus was walking this earth and he was hanging out with a lot of bad dudes, right? He was often found with a lot of bad people. What did he see? Did he see bad people or did he see sick people, people in need? People who are desperately needing love. Uh, I think about the woman at the well, the story of the woman at the well, where he meets this woman, she's at the well, she's been living a life of sin, um, and she knows that. What does he most, um, most importantly get to with her? Is he focused on her badness or is he focused on her needs? She actually tries to distract him. She tries to tell him, no, no, I'm bad. I've been doing a lot of bad things. And he keeps redirecting her. He keeps saying, 
Yes, I know you are, but of course you are because you have a need for living water and I am that living water. And if you take from me, you'll never thirst again and then you'll be able to go and sin no more. He's not really focused on her behaviors. He's focused on her needs. He's saying, no, you need love and I am love. And if you're able to partake of that, then you can go and sin no more. He sees her for her need, not her behavior. And I think so often what we do, especially in the church, unfortunately, especially in the church, is we get blinded and distracted by behavior and therefore we don't see need. We see bad people instead of people in need, right? Um, Jesus is in the business of changing people from the inside out. But in order to do that, you have to see the inside. So before we can even love people, we've got to first be able to see their need. We've got to perceive them in the proper way. Um, can I pull on your heartstrings again? <laughs> Is that okay? Um, maybe not. I don't know. I took a, um, so I just, a couple months ago, I finished up taking a, a, a class on uh, childhood trauma and bereavement for my master's program that I'm in. Really heavy class. Um, just deep emotional stuff that we were kind of reading about, studying and writing about and things like that. And um, um, it, it got to me. I'm not going to lie to you. That class got to me a little bit. Some of the things that we were looking at, I've, I've worked with kids my whole life. I've worked in the public school system for a long time. I've seen need. I've been around it. But something about it just being on display um, and exhibited right in front of you is difficult. Um, so some of the things that I picked up on that class um, go like this. Uh, recent studies will suggest that between 25 to 33% of females, so between one in four to one in three, and as many as one in five males will be sexually abused by the time they turn 18. Did you get that? As many as one in three females and as many as one in five males will be sexually abused by the time they turn 18. And of those, 93% of them will be abused by someone that they know someone that they trust, someone that they love, someone who's supposed to be taking care of them, someone who's supposed to be keeping them safe. And we wonder why people's view of love is so skewed, right? One in three, one in five. That's crazy. That's in America, by the way. That's here. That's heavy. That's not okay. By the way, 20% of those cases will happen before the age of eight. Um, And I work with those cases every single day, and I'm telling you, It destroys. Abuse absolutely destroys everything. We wonder why, right? Um, 31% of women over the age of 18 will be physically abused, almost all by an intimate partner. And very few of those cases will ever be reported, meaning that those women will continue to stay in a cycle of physical abuse for their entire lives. These are the people that you work with. These are the people that you're in Zumba class with. Almost 31% are living in a cycle of physical abuse by somebody that they are in a relationship with. And we wonder why people's views of love are so skewed, right? This one's really, really been sneaking up on us as a culture within the last decade, but it is wrecking us right now, um, and especially in like the hospital setting. Um, roughly every 19 to 20 minutes, a child is born addicted to opioids, Roughly every 19 to 20 minutes, a child is brought into this world already with an addiction to opioids. Welcome to the world. (laughs) 
I know you didn't choose it. I know you didn't do anything to deserve it, but you were already born with an opioid addiction. You're going to spend the rest of your life with a propensity towards addiction. People are going to treat you terribly, and the church is probably going to wag its finger and tell you how bad you are. Have fun, right? And we wonder why people's view of love is so skewed. And the last one that I work with a lot, um, most directly, roughly 10 to 15% of high schoolers this year will attempt suicide. The 10 to 15 will attempt suicide, and one in 25 will be successful. It's currently, suicide is currently the second leading cause of death for people between the ages of 10 and 34. <laughs> 10 and 34. When we start to see people the way Jesus sees them, when we start to perceive need instead of behavior, it's not something that we have to look hard to find. It's all around us. It's everywhere. I use the word obsessed here for a reason. It's you become obsessive over it. When you see people, you just start seeing so much need. It's in our workplaces. It's in our schools. It's in our families. It's in our churches. You start seeing need everywhere. And before we can start loving people the way Jesus has called us to love them, we've got to first see their need. We've got to be like the Samaritan who doesn't see the outside, doesn't see behavior, doesn't get distracted by a wrong lifestyle or by sin. We've got to stop being surprised that sinners sin. Like We're all surprised by it all the time. We've got to start seeing, no, they have some, a need for the love that God has shown me and they need to see it in the way that I love them, right? We got to see need, got to see need. That's point number one. Point number two, I got to hurry up a little bit. Um, point number two, this is very deep and theological. You ready? People who are loving the way that God calls, called us to love, they do things. Dun, 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 dun. I'm going to be so famous one day. They do things. What separates the Samaritan from the priest and from the Levi? Yes, he perceives the need differently, and that's important. That's a precursor to action. But if all he did was see the need and then walk away, then he's just aware of the need. He's not actually doing anything that matters. The thing that separates the two is that the Samaritan actually does something about it, right? He actually reaches down and helps the man. His actions kind of show his love. Um, love is like an action word. It's not really a feeling, right? It's, it's an action word, not a feeling word. It requires you to do something. If you're not doing anything, then it's not really love. Your love requires action. Um, we see, let's go back to our verses. If we are in, I don't know, verse 34. Let's go with that one. Yes. Verse 34, um, it says, He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his animal, on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. We see that this man didn't only feel compassion, but he actually did something about it. Um, I don't think this guy was carrying around extra bandages. <laughs> that would be kind of a weird thing to take on a on his journey, um, what I imagine is that when he came across this man and saw the need, he started to take his robe that he probably paid good money for and started to rip it and started to use the pieces of cloth to kind of bandage up those wounds. His wife was going to be pretty upset with him when he got home. But in that moment, this man's needs were greater than his own, right? Um, he, it also says that he started to pour oil and wine 
um, on this man. The, the word pour is like to pour in excess. So he just started to lavishly pour this oil and this wine on this man. Well, he has a long road ahead of him still. He's gonna need fluids. He's gonna be famished later. He's gonna be super uncomfortable. But in that moment, the needs of the man were greater than the needs of himself. He started to act in a way that was sacrificial. Love doesn't just require action. It requires sacrificial action. Um, then obviously he takes him to the inn, stays the night there, and then the next day gives two hard-earned days wages to denarii. Had the man done anything to deserve it? No. Had he done anything to earn it? No. But he just lavishly gives of his finances at that point. He says, here, take care of the man. If you need any more, I'll come back and, and I'll pay you when I get back. So we, just, we see a Samaritan who goes out and he does things, right? And I think a lot of times we in churches, we are aware of issues. We're aware of the problems, but just being aware of them is so useless until we actually go do something. Um, I hate lifeguards. <laughs> Transition. <laughs> Also, bad transition, because we were talking about love, right? It's, but it's true. Lifeguards have always been annoying to me. Um, my cousin was a lifeguard. I've got a lot of friends who are lifeguards. It's nothing personal. It's just uh, my whole life, I've, I've worked a lot of camps and things like that. We take kids to the pool, and apparently it's frowned upon to take kids and throw them really high in, in the air and let them crash down on the water. And apparently it's frowned upon to like hold them underwater for a long time while they're kicking and screaming. I'm sitting here holding the kid under, and lifeguard's like, psh, psh, you gotta let him up. God, I'm like, if you knew this kid, <laughs> no, you should love them. You should all love, oh man. But apparently, that's a bad deal. So, I, lifeguards are, fr are frustrating to me. Let me be honest with you, I don't know a whole lot about being a lifeguard, but I really like this illustration, so I'm gonna run with it, okay? Um, here's what I do know about lifeguards I do know that there's a lot that goes into being a lifeguard. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. You've got to pass like swim tests. You got to be able to like swim so fast or so far. You got to be able to hold your breath for so long. So there's like a, a physical part of being a lifeguard. I know that there's a lot of procedures that you have to read about and memorize. Um, so you know like, hey, if this happens, we're going to do this. Or if that happens, we're going to do this. You got to go to the meetings. You got to learn all this stuff. Um, You've got to, there are certain limitations on lifeguards. They can only be on the stand for so long before they have to rotate off so that they're not getting tired and things like that. Like, there's a lot that goes into being a lifeguard. And all of those things are set in place to make your lifeguards more efficient guardians of life or more efficient blowers of the whistle at Nathan for drowning kids, whatever. <laughs> um, but they're all set in place to make you more efficient. But if that lifeguard sits on his stand while someone is drowning and never jumps into the pool to save them, then all of that stuff is useless. I don't care at that moment how well you know your policies. I don't care how well you've memorized your handbook. You can know it in 14 different languages. Doesn't matter. I don't care how physically fit you are in that moment. If you see someone drowning and you just sit on your stand and watch them, you are useless. You're very efficient, but you're efficiently useless as a lifeguard, and someone's drowning, saying, help me, Nathan's drowning me, and you don't do anything to help them. You're useless. And unfortunately, I think this is a picture of the church a lot of times. We go to church every single week. We go to all the life groups. We go to all the Bible studies. We read all the books. We listen to the podcasts. 
We listen to WCQR 88.3 FM. We are, we have the bumper stickers. We have the shirts. All that stuff is great. All that stuff is necessary. All of that stuff is biblical. But until you actually dive into the water and do something with it, it's useless. We have so many efficiently useless Christians sitting in Bible studies week after week after week, soaking things in, soaking things in, soaking things in, and never doing anything with it, right? Um, can we be people who don't just see the need, don't just prepare to help the need, but actually go in and do it? It requires sacrifice. It's hard. And I think this is the best indicator that you'll ever find of where you are spiritually. If you want to know where are you in your walk with Christ, ask yourself, how much am I sacrificing for the good of others? Think about this past week. How much time did you spend sacrificially for the good of someone else? And for the vast majority of us in this room, the answer to that is probably zero hours. How much money did you give to someone, not because they earned it, not because they deserved it, but because their need was greater than yours in that moment and you wanted to show love to them? How much money did you give away this week for someone who needed it? The answer for most of us is a whole big zero dollars, right? How many times did you get out of your comfort zone, out of your, do something that was uncomfortable, uneasy, a little awkward maybe, because someone else could benefit from it? Probably zero, because we like our comfort. It's become our idol. We like our bank accounts. They become our idols. We gotta hold on to them, right? We like our free time. We need our free time. I need my Netflix. I need it. It becomes our idol. People who are loving the way that Jesus has called us to love, they go out and they do stuff. They don't just sit back and see a world in need. They go out and they do stuff and they do it sacrificially. So people who are loving the way we should, we're seeing need, we're obsessed with it. And then we're going and doing something about it. And the last thing, this is my half point, <laughs> two and a half. So my half point here, just really quickly and we'll be done. And this is kind of the why of what we do. People who are loving the way Jesus has called us to love, they rest in the joy of purpose. They find joy and purpose. Um, if you look back at verse uh, 28, all the way back to when Jesus is kind of having this conversation with the lawyer. Um, Jesus had asked him, kind of quizzed him, flipped things back on him, asking him about the law, asking him how he should live. And in verse 28, Jesus says, um, he says, He said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The word live here in the Greek, it means alive. It means to be full. It doesn't just mean you will breathe. It means you will be alive. You will find purpose. You will find meaning. You will be overcome with joy. If you're feeling down, you're feeling empty, maybe you've felt empty for a long time, and you keep coming to church hoping that's going to fix it. And you keep reading your Bible thinking that's going to fix it. And you keep going to the life groups thinking that's going to fix it. All that stuff is great. But may I suggest to you that your ultimate calling, what Jesus put you on this earth to do, is to go out and radically love other people. Radically, unconditionally. Go out and love them. Serve them. Because if you go do that, Jesus says, then you will be alive. You will be overwhelmed with purpose. Last story and we'll be done. I, uh, I love the beach. It's my favorite, absolute favorite um, of all the earthly pleasures on this world. Um, 
being in the ocean is one of my number one favorite places to be. My whole family um, enjoys it. We try and go out every year, with, um, not just my, my immediate family, but we try and get together with the cousins and do that kind of thing. Um, we love it. Um, but I'm also terrified of it. The beach is a terrifying place to be, specifically in the water, because there's a lot of things out there that I think are trying to kill me. Um, it is terrifying sometimes. And so we kind of had this unwritten rule where um, if, if anybody's in the water and they either feel something brushing up against their leg or think they may have felt something, or if they see anything out there or think <laughs> they saw anything out there, better safe than sorry, we have this special code that we call. We don't use words. We use a very particular set of actions. It took us many years to get this properly correct. We turn immediately and abruptly face the shore and get out of there as quickly as possible. <laughs> Run for your life because your life probably depends on it. And when one person goes, when you see one person do the sign, everybody's gone. My entire family, my sisters, my cousin. I mean, my cousin's a big old dude, but he'll start squealing. And, and we, it's every man for himself. You get back there, you're hyperventilating, you look back, you start counting, do we have everybody? If not, oh well, it was just their time to go. I mean, we are terrified of little things that are in there trying to hurt me. Gosh, those little sticks, they're just out to get me. I'm telling you, it's so scary. And then, but here's what happens. We'll sit, we'll sit on the shore, wrapped up in our towels, shaking, and then we'll look out at the water. We look out at it and we're like, huh, boy, that water sure does look nice. Those waves sure are big. Oh, it would be pretty nice to, if you can just hit that wave right when it's breaking and I probably get a lot of speed on that. Man, it'd be really fun to be out there right now. Oh, it kind of feels like this is like the purpose of why God put me on this earth is to enjoy that ocean right now. Kind of look around, we're like, you, you ready to go back in? I'm like, I don't know, you're, sure, let's go. So we'll go back, we'll kind of like creep in. We start doing the thing where you drag your feet. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, oh, got to drag the feet, drag the feet. And we get back into that ocean because that's where joy is. That's where purpose is. That's why we went to the beach, to go in the ocean. We didn't go there just to sit there and look at it. We went there to feel joyful, to feel fulfilled. And I just wonder how many Christians in our churches and our pews today are sitting there feeling empty. They're sitting on the beach wrapped up in their towels scared to death to go into the water because they're afraid it might hurt. And Jesus, I just imagine Jesus is out there, man. He's out there. He's got his boogie board. He's like, hey, come on in. It's awesome. And we sit there and we say, oh, but Jesus, there might be jellyfish out there. And he's like, yeah, there might be jellyfish out here, but it's worth it. I'm like, oh, but Jesus, there could be stingrays and those things are not to be messed with. He's like, yeah, there might be stingrays, but come on out. It's so worth it. But, but, but there might be a massive shark that comes out of nowhere and just swallows me whole and I die. And Jesus, without flinching, will look you in the eye and say, you're right. You're absolutely right. You could lose your entire life. But this is why I made you. I made you to come out here and enjoy it and get out here in the water. Appreciate your purpose. Appreciate the joy and all the good things that I want to lavish upon you. That purpose, that joy, is to love others. So where are we today? Um, maybe, we're some, maybe you're somebody who you, just, you need to be able to see need. 
You get so distracted by behavior, you get so turned off by sin that you, you just start seeing people as bad. Everywhere you go, you see bad people, bad people, bad people, a broken world. You see all these, all these like bad groups that are trying to take over your Christian religiosity. And you need to start seeing people for their need the way that Jesus did. Uh, maybe others of us, we see the need, but we're not really doing anything about it. Like we're being super spiritual and we're, and we're, you know, we're listening to our, our Christian radio, but we've got to go out and do something. And maybe the challenge for you this week is ask yourself, what, what can I do this week that's going to sacrificially be beneficial to someone else? I've got three hours of free time on Wednesday. How can I use it? Who can I meet with? Who can I talk to? Who can I call up on the phone? Whose yard can I go mow? How can I use that free time for someone else's good? Um, I've got $30,000 sitting in the bank, just sitting there doing nothing. How can I use that this week to go out and help somebody who's in need? Not because they earned it, not because they deserve it, but because this is the way that Jesus loved me. And this is what they need right now is to see displayed in front of them true love. Um, I'm not sure where we're at, but um, I think it's super important. I think it's so important, so important that we be people who are reflections of love to the world. That's what we've been called to be. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.